Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny will be joined today by Rabbi Mark Samet to discuss his book, The Name, a history of the dual-gendered Hebrew name for God. So tune in and hear about Rabbi Samet's research showing the God of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, universally referred to in the masculine today, was originally understood to be a dual-gendered male-female God. And now I welcome your hosts for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives. You can find those at 1150kknw.com. You can also find the show on iTunes and Podcast One. And just as quick housekeeping, my website is goldenoversoul.com. That is goldenoversoul.com. Uh, Benny, good morning. How you Hi doing? there. Good morning back. And that was an excellent in. You uh, took it like a champ like they do in TV. You know, it's like you're looking at the camera like, and action. No, and I do this every time. I get into a wonderful conversation with our guest. And I got to cut you and, off. Yes, and I'm then sorry. you jump in and yeah, I always I need to say, I'm so sorry. I need to be minding the time so we don't get into that and are rude, but... In any event, um, uh, how are things? Things are good. Yeah, but you okay. jump into your intro. You do. It's, it's, it's an amazing feat. Not all can do this. So <laughs> no, Well, not everybody has Benny well, guiding the way. <laughs> you know how many things I do listen to my, in one ear. So it's, it's uh, a pleasure being here. And happy love month to you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Of course, it's February. And a uh, big heart to you and the family. Oh, you and too, Benny. I, I tried uh, the uh, um, sprinkles. On the old steak the other night that you oh, that Chase yes. gave is fantastic. So thank you again. By way of background, what we're talking about. So <laughs> Chase, we, one of the reasons we're back in Seattle is because Chase rejoined his family's company. This company was founded and has been around for 20 years through his aunt. Um, and that was what brought us back up to the Pacific Northwest. They provide spices to restaurants and companies like Hidden Valley for their ranch or El Gaucho for their steaks, things like that. So they have a very special Coogs steak rub for the Washington Coogs. Yeah. And Washington it, State Coogs. Sorry, sorry. Make Washington sure. State Easy, easy. we're on this side of the mountains. We've got to be careful. I know. I, I apologize <laughs> for getting those a little mixed up. Um, but anyway, we brought some of those seasonings to Benny so that, since he's such a Coogs fan. And, and uh, w- nothing says I love you with uh, a giant piece of meat and steak <laughs> and a Cougar ground. There we go. So there we go. Okay. Thank you very much again to the both of you. Awesome. Well, yeah. good to see you, Benny. Maybe yeah. we'll bring you more spices in the hey. future. Just let us know what you need. I'd love it. We can be your hookup, your spice hookup. <laughs> Spice <laughs> Maven or something. I don't even know, like a spice master, I guess. I don't know. We'll oh, yeah. come up with something. Chase will be the spice master. There we go. I'm okay. just the messenger. All right. <laughs> Thanks, honey. Okay. Well, I have to say, I am really, I'm always excited to talk to our guests. You know that I am very selfish in our guest selection because I only want people on the show whose work I'm really interested in. So I get really excited about reading it and all of the background that I do before we come on the show and talk to our guests. I am particularly excited about today, though, I will say. Um, so I'll just go ahead and read um, Rabbi Mark's bio. And just FYI, we have, I'm calling Rabbi Mark, his name is Rabbi Mark Sameth, but we will be calling him Rabbi Mark today for our conversation. So Rabbi Mark is the author of The Name, A History of the Dual-Gendered Hebrew Name for God. 
about the book, Rabbi Lawrence Kushner, who's very well known, wrote that this may just be the most interesting thing written about God since the Jews figured out there's only one. Rabbi Mark has been named one of the one of America's most inspiring rabbis by The Forward and also featured in the book God, 48 Famous and Fascinating Minds Talk About God by Jennifer Byrne and R.O. Blackman. Uh, Rabbi Samet's essays include Our Father, Who Art Our Mother in Religion Dispatches, as well as Is God Transgender, which was an op-ed for the New York Times. Um, you can find links to those articles and find out more about Rabbi Mark at rabbimarksameth.com. RabbiMarkSameth.com, and, and that last name is spelled S-A-M-E-T-H. Uh, Rabbi Mark, welcome to Sunny in Seattle. Thank you, Sunny. It's so good to be with you. Oh, so excited. So um, listeners may remember um, that uh, a wonderful individual by the name of Rabbi Alana Zaman was a guest several years ago. Actually, uh, she was, I think, in the first year or two of the show, she had a beautiful book called The Forever Letter, um, and I interviewed her. Um, I met her. She is local here in Seattle. And so we had the opportunity to connect um, b- both before and after the show, and we stayed in touch. She also was on the show to interview me about my book, Unhitched. Um, and so in staying in touch with Rabbi Zaman, um, I came to know of Rabbi Mark's work. And I was my interest was very piqued when I saw the title, The Name, A History of the Dual-Gendered Hebrew Name for God. Now, listeners will know, uh, Rabbi Mark, that I have been in the process of applying to divinity school. Um, And for my writing sample, I chose to write about female leadership within the Christian church. And so I, your work found me through Rabbi Zaman around the same time as I'm creating this writing sample. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if we can take, of course, the Christian history is, is, came after all of the, 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 um, the history that is discussed in your book, um, which is just it's so beautifully researched and is so uh, just you can just track it through history. It's so clear. And I can't wait to talk more about it. And I'll just say for listeners out there, there is so much that we're not going to be able to get into today. But if you want the full details, I highly recommend the book. Um, but in any event, I was so excited about this this discovery that you made um, and the research that you've done on this, because if we do discover, um, and if it, which I, your research to me clearly shows this, that the um, the Abrahamic God of of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam is in fact dual gendered, a male female God, that changes everything for particularly women like me who um, have, well now not my generation necessarily as much as previous, but who have been denied equal standing or authority within their faith tradition. So anyway, that is a really long way of saying, welcome to the show. That's how I came to know your work. I'm so excited for our conversation. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that. That's great. Absolutely. And you said we'd, we'd kind of gotten into this before we went on air, but you said, I'm going to hold this until we get on air. So I didn't want to, I know I cut you off. I didn't know if there was something in particular um, around my application to Divinity School and me sharing how your work found me um, that I didn't get to hear before we went on air. No, I just, I, I want, I, I'm so interested in that because it's, um, you know, I'm living in the, in the, in the Jewish world. I was a congregational rabbi, the, you know, doing a lot of interfaith work as well, but my area of knowledge is Judaism. And I'm, I'm so interested to hear um, how this is, how this, has been received in 
uh, in other communities. So when I hear from progressive Christians, when I hear from, um, uh, you know, from Europe, Roman Catholic priests and um, uh, evangelicals or post-evangelicals, I'm fascinated by how this is landing and and um, and I'm I'm very interested in in that part of the story which I'm only getting glimpses of yes. from my from my perch. Yeah. Yes, yes, it really is the dialogue, the interfaith dialogue that's possible because of this is just it's incredible. And I will also say I hope that we have a chance to get to this um, during the show today. But I was so intrigued by your discovery after you were you've been in this research for quite some time before the book but I think after an article came out you were made aware that um, there was another individual um, particularly this is so interesting a world-famous linguist and scholar of antiquities in the 1800s who happened to be the Vatican librarian also proposed this theory or made this claim and of course his work was suppressed by the Vatican and, uh, you know, not many people probably heard of it. But, um, yeah, you you are not alone in, in having um, discovered this really interesting uh, way of reading the name. I guess we're getting kind of ahead of ourselves, but I'll footnote that, so maybe we'll get okay. to it. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm curious, just um, I read a little bit about your background here in the bio, um, and you mentioned some of your current work, but um, just to back up a little bit, I'm curious how you originally ended up in rabbinical seminary, and and could you have foreseen or did you foresee the evolution of your work leading here to this particular research on the dual-gendered nature of God? Yeah, I've got my um, my 50th high school reunion uh, is is coming up this year, and I and so a lot of us are reconnecting with each other. No, I don't think anybody that knew me back then, uh, you know, uh, would have would have uh, would have expected this. No, I was. Um, uh, it was it was it was music. It was I mean that was kind of like where I lived at the time, and I was uh, I ended up in Nashville, Tennessee, writing country and western songs. I mean I had a whole other life, <laughs> and then I came back to New York and started um, poking around. I was I was I started I was just curious, and at one point I realized that I had never read the. Um, the Bible cover to cover, like from, mm. from, from the beginning to the end. I just, I'd never read it. I mean, I'd read portions of it. I grew up Jewish. I went to, to temple and so forth. Um, and I decided that I wanted to study for just one year. I said, you know what, give yourself a year, just read it, just, um, and see what the big deal is all about. Everybody is quoting it and fighting about it and so forth. So I didn't know who to study with because I didn't know what I, what I, what I believed. I wasn't sure I really believed. Um, I didn't believe the Bible literally. I didn't know what I believed. So I found two rabbis, one, a very, very orthodox, um, actually Hasidic, ultra-orthodox rabbi. And um, I would study with him on Monday nights. And then on Wednesday nights, I'd run over and I studied with what with a rabbi who came from what's called the Reconstructionist Movement. And the Reconstructionist Movement is a very small group uh, denomination in Judaism or movement in Judaism, which is very intellectual and very, they don't even believe it. They don't believe in a supernatural God. They, uh, they see Judaism more as a civilization than, uh, than as a faith tradition. They don't even talk in terms of faith. And so I'm bouncing back and forth between the two of them reading 
Jews have a lectionary uh, as well, which means that we're reading the same uh, uh, pieces of the, uh, of, the, of the Bible each week, same sections of the Bible each week. And so I was studying the same section on Monday and Wednesday. And the very, very orthodox rabbi would say, you know, the Alter Rebbe, he says, you know, the old rabbi, the, our, the rabbi who founded our, our tell, says, and he would quote him. And then I would go to the next one, to the Reconstructionist rabbi, and he would say, you know, Jacques Derrida, the, the deconstructionist French theorist, would say. And so I, my head is spinning. I don't, know, I don't know who these people are. I don't know who the Alter Rebbe is. I don't know who Jacques Derrida is, but I'm fascinated and I'm running back and forth. And finally, someone, I wish I could remember who it was, said to me, Mark, you are going to burn yourself out. You go find, go study with this other rabbi. And they found, you know, this is like the Goldilocks rabbi. Yeah. And I found the rabbi who I, who had to me, both the intellectual rigor and the passion and the, um, the clarity and also the love and the sweetness of both of these rabbis that I'd been studying with, and I, I found my rabbi, and then I joined a I joined a community. I'm an adult. I'm in my 30s. I'm joining a synagogue for the first time in my life, and I'm going. What are you doing here? It's like I never would have expected myself there, and I I um I was completely, uh, uh to use the old, I was completely jazzed. It just completely <laughs> got me, and at some point I went. You know what? I really I think I want to study like at a much deeper level. I think I want to, I want to go to rabbinical school mm. and I applied and uh, I was fortunate enough to get in and I had wonderful, wonderful teachers. Lawrence Kushner is one of the, what we call the Gedolim. He's one of the greats of this generation, living masters of this generation. I got to study with him and Kerry Olitsky and others. It was, um, it was absolutely wonderful. Yes. Well, so while you were uh, studying with um, those awesome professors, including Rabbi Lawrence Kushner, um, this hypothesis, uh, this, you made a discovery, you created a bit of a hypothesis that ended up, you spent years of research following uh, rabbinical seminary with this. So if you don't mind, I'll just read the, what the claim is, and then we can maybe talk about how you came to it. So just a few sentences into the book. Um, Rabbi Mark writes, my claim is that the God of the ancient Israelites, the God of Abraham, universally referred to in the masculine today, was originally understood to be a dual gendered male female God. Okay, so walk us back. You're in seminary. You're learning some really cool stuff by, by Rabbi Kushner. I think my perception in reading the book was that he opened your mind to reading the Bible in such a way that there are cryptograms and it's the allegories, like you've got to be, you you need to be in the know in some respect to be able to see some of the things that you started to see. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, one of the things that he said that stays with me to this day is he says, "Look, you know, uh, you can always reject this. You know, you can always say like, I don't want to, you know, I don't accept this, but stay with the text, like mm. just." Look, stay with it, wrestle with it, see what you see what it might mean to you. And so that was kind of one of my guideposts there was that I was I um, I wanted to see what um, uh, what, if anything, some of these difficult parts of the text. And I'm not even talking about the parts that we have to reject because um, 
they uh, they, they don't conform to, with our uh, our you know our 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 sense today, nor should they. But just some of the grammatical difficulties that were just so confounding, and fortunately. When you come to something later in life, and Sonny, I, I, I'm so happy for you and, and bless you on your path um, in, as, you know, as you approach Divinity School. And one of the things I know that you already know, and you certainly will see it in Divinity School, is that coming to something a little bit later in life is such a blessing because you have you have the knowledge and the expertise and the experience and, um, and you know, you're formed in such a way as a mature or more mature adult who knows what life is about. And at the same time, you're coming in with what Buddhists call beginner's mind. And you can say, you know what? I don't know anything about this. And thank God, I'm not expected to right now. You know, it's like nobody's looking to me as, as someone who's expected to know the answers, all I have are questions. Mm. And so you can come with this very kind of open, almost childlike mm -hmm. approach and say, well, what, what is this? You know, what is this? And so I kept coming on things like um, just real strange things in the in the Hebrew of the Bible. I was studying the Bible in Hebrew for the first time um, really in rabbinical school all the way through. And I, so some of the things, <laughs> some of the things I saw, I mean, I'm reading in the Hebrew and it, and Eve is, refer, I'll give you a few examples. Yeah. Eve is referred to as he mm. in, in the Hebrew. After the flood, Noah is said to rep repair to her tent. Rebecca is referred to as a young man. Mordechai is said to be Esther's nursing father. The future kings of Israel, according to Isaiah, are going to be nursing kings. And then if you think that nursing might mean nurturing or whatever, then he says, no, no, no. King, what I mean, king's breasts, you shall suck. Mm. And my head is exploding. I'm going, what, what is this all about? Um, this doesn't make any sense. Um, and then... Um, and then I started, yes, absolutely. And you're absolutely right. You're, you're, you, you've read my book very closely and I'm, I'm, I'm influenced by Rabbi Kushner and I'm starting to play around. Might this be a crypt, might this be a cryptogram? Maybe there's something here. Uh, what and, is a cryptogram um, for those who don't know what that is? Okay. So a cryptogram is like, um, so um, there would, it's, it's a, um, it's a way of communicating um with letters, um, a, uh, you know, a, a different word or a message that doesn't appear on the text. I mean, they, it's, it's like when you send an encrypted message today over your text, um, it's for privacy purposes. Yeah. So in the old days, they would have to figure out how are we going to get a secret message from here to there? We can't just, um, it, so, and they would devise ways of, of sending secret messages. One way was they would, uh, they'd write a message on, on somebody's scalp, and then they'd wait for the, for the hair to grow back and then send the person out, you know, hundreds of miles to the next place to deliver the message. They'd shave the head and read the message, which was great, but not in emergencies, <laughs> you know? So um, they had ways of encrypting in a text. Um, so this letter actually meant that letter and so forth. And that became um, 
Uh, that was part of how the whole story of World War II, uh, there's a lot about World War II that hinges on being able to um, decrypt secret messages. And, but, um, uh, but um, so I'm, I'm seeing, uh, or at least I'm open to the idea that some of these, and, and Rabbi Kushner showed us some places where you have these cryptograms. And so I, I'm looking at the word Moshe, which is Moses in Hebrew. Um, couldn't be a more Hebrew name or more Jewish name than Moses, right? <laughs> Everybody, right? Um, and I'm looking at the at this name Moses and um, realizing that in that in the ancient world it meant son of, like Tut Moses in, in Egypt, son of Tut. Tut Moses. So Moses means son of. That is right away that's not a name and then i reverse the letters and um and it moses's name in hebrew when you reverse it means the name it's mm. ha shem in hebrew the name so now it's like really interesting and then these four letters of god's name which no one pronounces um uh, somebody along the way guessed it was Jehovah. Somebody else guessed it was Yahweh. In in the Jewish world, we don't pronounce that name. Often we would just say the name or we would say the Lord. Um, and uh, I reversed those letters. And, uh, and now I'm looking at, uh, <laughs> I'm looking at uh, these letters which spell out the pronouns he, she. Mm. And now I'm going, okay, I think there's something here. Um, and, but now I'm in, I'm, I'm in my second to last year of rabbinical school, I'm writing my thesis, and I basically say, um, I ask them, put it on hold, put my thesis on hold. In other words, don't let other, don't publish it, don't let other mm -hmm. people see it for 10 years, because I want to quietly explore this. Mm. Um, without any pressure, without anybody asking questions. I just want to sort of go, go off now as an ordained rabbi and continue to explore it. And then I did for 10 years. And then after 10 years, I wrote my first essay. Yes. And just for those out there um, who are listening, um, this may make more sense if you have, if you know a, if you are fluent in another language, because in English, we don't have gendered pronouns or a gendered uh, nouns and and adjectives and um, and so uh, if you could just speak for a few minutes for those who don't know who who, who don't uh, read or speak another language, Hebrew is unusual um, in the sense that it's read right to left versus left to right traditionally, and there is the gendered aspect to it that people who only speak English won't understand. Can you explain a little bit about why it's important to be able to read it in Hebrew? Um, as opposed to the translation that many of us have in, say, a the King James version of the Bible, which I love, by the way. <laughs> I mean, that, that that is it is so. Uh, yeah, my wife and I are studying Shakespeare right now, ah. and um, uh, but you, when you hear some of the cadences of beautifully turned English, uh, and there's nothing like there's nothing like the uh, the King James the King James Bible. Um, 
Um, having said that, I mean, there's different ways of, of approaching a text. Um, as far as, let me answer your question in terms of gender. So yes, I mean, but people that's, people that speak French or the Romance languages, mm -hmm. French or Latin, you know, the, um, when you talk about the table, she is, mm -hmm. well, there's no, no one thinks that the table is feminine. There are just words that are masculine mm -hmm. or feminine in many, many languages. And um, Hebrew is one of those. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the noun being referred to is in any way um, actually male or female and we can talk about what the what actually male or female means oh, a little bit further down but <laughs> uh down the road but um but they're grammatically um male or female so that um so that's that's really what we're talking about um grammatical gender then in terms of reading something in in its own language as opposed to in a translation there are so many different um people that translate for a living, people, people whose lives are all about translation from one language to another will have these scholarly debates, you know, are we going for the beauty of the language, the target language into which we're translating the text, then you can't beat the King, King James Bible, there's nothing like it. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, just the just the rhythm alone in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth it's it's unsurpassable it's just no one will ever write a more beautiful opening line in english uh translation of the hebrew bible than that but it's not what the hebrew says what the hebrew says is <laughs> it, in beginning of, God created the heavens and the earth. In beginning of what? So right away, the Hebrew is 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 uh, sending you a message that this is this text is going to require uh, it, it's uh, you're going to require your your complete attention, and it's not going to unfold easily. It it's going to present you right off the bat with um, with some per some perplexities yes. and invite you in to kind of co-create the meaning with the by interacting with the text. Yes, and another really important um, uh, what's the word effect of taking it from Hebrew to the King James version that we're talking about is the version that I grew up with. Um, while I, I grew up Christian, I don't identify as Christian now. I'm a little bit too broad for one particular faith tradition, I think, these days. But um, the Bible that I grew up with, King James Version or similar, said, you know, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But in, in I have just recently learned about, you know, in the Hebrew Bible, it is let us create the earth in our own image or some, it's that there's a, there is a, it's not a singular it's a our us, yeah. Yeah. So, um, right. So, <laughs> so, so, um, the, so the first word in the he of the Hebrew Bible means in beginning of. Uh -huh. That's one word. In beginning of is the first word of the Hebrew Bible. The second word of the Hebrew Bible is Elohim, and um, Elohim is usually translated into English as God. 
Mm -hmm. um, and the four letter name that I was talking about earlier is usually translated as the Lord. Mm -hmm. And you look at the English Bible, you'll see God and the Lord. Mm -hmm. Well, um, the Lord comes into English because that was just a respectful substitute before people started saying Jehovah or Yahweh or trying to figure out how those four letters were pronounced. They followed the Hebrew tradition, the Israelite tradition mm -hmm. of referring to God, um, not by God's name, but as, um, as our Lord. Mm -hmm. And that's how it comes into English, but that's not um, the, the word Lord is another word in Hebrew. It's not that. And, but, the second word of the Hebrew Bible, Elohim, is in the plural. What it, what it means, and again, depending on the context, you can find that word in the Hebrew Bible elsewhere in the Hebrew Bible. And I'm using the term Hebrew Bible, although many Christians will still use the term Old Testament. Right. Um, but the Hebrew Bible is how Jews will refer, or Tanakh, it's a short uh, uh, a shortened version of the the three books the the Torah uh, the teaching the writings and the um, uh, uh, and the prophets so um, the second word is used uh, in the Hebrew Bible to mean judges authorities powers it's plural mm -hmm. and also small g gods when you're talking about the god you know the gods of the other nations the gods that other people follow small g gods it's that's how it's spelled elohim gods here it's in beginning of gods plural and then the third word is again singular created but it means singular so it's really confusing yeah. i mean it's it's really grammatically confusing god is is presented as masculine and feminine god is present grammatically masculine and feminine god is presented as grammatically um male and uh, uh, uh male and female singular and plural old all together. And this is just by way of introduction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're like, <laughs> like I said, we, we will not even scratch the surface. I mean, no, I will say, don't be intimidated by uh, the, me saying that, I mean, there's so much detail here. This is, this is such an approachable book and it is, it is actually, you have condensed things into um, uh, a way that I don't know. I'm, I can't even imagine how much research you did and what you did to distill it down into the book that um, that you really can digest in a in a fairly short period of time. So please don't be intimidated, listeners, because Rabbi Mark presents it in a really digestible way. We're but, already in the footnotes, Sonny. I know. No, we're sorry. Already, no, no, no. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. I tend right, to no. do that. So. No, 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 no. I'm, a, I'm, you know, I'm always happy to talk about that. But you're right. The book itself, <laughs> except for the footnote section, is, uh, is is written in a different way. You're right. Yes. Well, so you make this discovery and you create this hypothesis um, while you are still finishing seminary, um, and you say, "Give me, give me ten years before I take this public." Um, during that time, um, so I think the next question is, if you made this discovery, um, why, how did this get lost for so many years? Um, and I know we're going to, this is a lot of history we're tracking here back to like 3000 BCE, um, but right. how did it get lost and, and why? 
Okay, so the 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 really short story of that is that that it, um, as far as I can tell, it was always a secret going back. Um, the first time we that we know of this this name of God that ends up being the um, uh, the, the Hebrew name of God that then becomes the Lord in English. The first time this appears. And if we could travel there today, you could still see it. It's on a pillar in in northern Sudan. I mean, we know exactly where it is. I have pictures of it. Um, it's written in hieroglyphs, and um, uh, and it 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 was a, a pillar that was on a temple that was established along the Nile around thirty. Let's see, three thousand four hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Israelite priests didn't. The tradition back then was that you that the priests of Egypt, the priests of Mesopotamia, they wouldn't just be bandying about the true name of their god. Um, the the commoners would 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 be taught one name, and the initiates would have another name. So it was always a secret. Then even the respectful substitute names um, along the way by the by the by the late second second temple period this is uh uh um maybe two three hundred bce mm-hmm. um uh before the common era um there were more restrictions about it what happens then um and it's passed down from from um master to disciple there's a whole ceremony of how it's passed down which is in my book um uh and uh, and then in the year 1540, fast forward uh, millennia, now we're in 1540, and there are a group of Kabbalists that decide, you know what, we have kept this secret all these years. It's time to start teaching it publicly. Mm-hmm. And in my book, I go into the reasons why I think that that might have been, why they might have made that decision. Now they're out teaching what had up until then been a, been a secret. And a, um, a Roman Catholic priest, French priest, by the name of Guillaume Postel, finds out about this and he writes it in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, well, th- um, uh, he was um, uh, he was not allowed <laughs> he was not allowed to publish that book. It was never published. Mm-hmm. It was actually taken away from him, and he was imprisoned. And the manuscript um, uh, uh, was out of his hands. It was it was then lost to him and to posterity. But in um, uh, I sup- I have to think that it came into the possession of another Vatican priest by the name of Michelangelo Lancy mm. in the mid nineteenth um, century, although he could have figured it out himself, but um, uh, but my guess is that he came into into possession of that manuscript as well because then he writes a book. That book gets published um, in the mid 1800s, but it's then immediately suppressed by the Vatican. but <laughs> uh, but he does manage, to uh, to publish it, and it gets reviewed in an American magazine, in Phil- published in Philadelphia, um, in the eighteen hundreds, uh, and they do a you know like like books get reviewed today. So that book got reviewed then, and people are going, 
you know, they're describing uh, his theory and so forth. And that's the first, uh, the first time that that, um, that we know of that that comes into uh, circulation in America. Yeah. And then it's lost. Then it's lost again. Yes. And that, I, I don't think that I made this distinction clearly because the, the gentleman that you just referred to, Lancey, um, was the gentleman that I was referring to at the very beginning that I hoped we would get to. So this is perfect. Um, uh, you didn't know about Lancey or any of those uh, writings that came before. You came to this discovery on your own. And you write that that spiritual intuition played at least a part in, in your discovery. And I'm just curious for you, um, what is spiritual intuition and what role does it play in one's faith? Oh, what a great question. I got into Jewish meditation many years ago, and one of the early pioneers of Jewish meditation was a rabbi by the name of Arya Kaplan, and he talks about two ways of doing meditation. One um, is when you're locked onto a problem, like you're trying to figure something out so intently that that's all you can think about. Um, And anybody that does science, anybody that does you know, anything that require or practices a musical instrument or uh, people from all sorts of disciplines will talk about that sense of being locked into a problem. So with such intense focus that everything else in the world goes away and that's all you're, all you know. The other way of doing meditation is to let your mind completely wander, to let go of all, um, preconceptions and all ideas, all thought, and just be. And Einstein talked about, um, you know, being how important it is, how important it was for him to kind of be able to move into those two different places and to be almost childlike. Um, And we don't have to be geniuses like, like an Einstein, but I think we can all learn from that about having that intense focus, and then that deep relaxation. When I took Tai Chi some years ago, um, they talk about the yin and the yang, the male and the female principle, and the, you know, the um, uh, being, um, you know, having this moving back and forth between these, these polarities. So intuition, I think, means just floating freely and being with the experience of floating freely and allowing your mind to notice things as they come and go um, without judging them, just, but being aware of them. And, and, and then after uh, that experience, you may want to go back and take some of what presented itself to you and go deep inside of it and analyze it critically and see where your critical mind can take you with that same um, data point or piece of information or experience. But we need to be both. If we're, if we're locked in all the time, um, we're never going to be open enough to experience the the richness and the fullness and the playfulness and and um, and joy of life, and if we're always kind of floating out there, um, 
we're never, I don't think we're ever going to quite grasp um, what is there, what, what's, what's actually graspable uh, for us. Mm, yes. I love that. Um, so I want to also ask switching gears just a little bit. Um, so as I mentioned, you know, there's a great deal of you walk us through history and you set the stage, you know, that the historical record is clear. The earliest appearance of the first version of the name, this is your writing, uh, occurs at the same time dual gendered deities were being worshipped in Mesopotamia and Egypt. And so you walk us through all the way to current times about how the name came to be. Um, it, it was dual gendered, male, female, are understood to be such. And then um, all the way up to present time. So my question is that, and I want to, sorry, I'm not prefacing this question very well. You write, um, I'm going to share a quote here in just a moment, but this is a big audacious claim um, for folks who have understood God to be male um, in the uh, in the Jewish tradition, Christian and Islamic traditions. Um, I imagine, well, this is probably a whole nother question, but the kind of pushback that you have received to your op-eds in, in this book. Um, but um, your claim is very well researched, and it makes a lot of sense to me. And you made this discovery at a very critical point point in human history. And um, at least the way that I see human evolution, our consciousness is at a much different place than it was 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 years ago. Um, and with that kind of as our, as our foundation, I want to see if I understand something that you wrote here mm -hmm. in the way that you meant it. You say, ironically, passing through modernity may have been a prerequisite for our being able to appreciate a central proposition embedded in this work of antiquity. Meaning, to me, when I read this, I hear, and I'm curious if this is what you think, that the name as a dual-gendered concept did not reappear until humans were ready to really receive it. Like, we're at a point now that people may be willing to explore this, whereas even two or 300 years ago, this was complete heresy. And of course, the Vatican suppresses it and all of that. So I'm curious if you feel like this is a, you brought this through at a very critical point um, that now we may be ready for it. I, I do think, and I do think that the reason that, um, well, I mean, it's, it's clear the work is not being suppressed. I mean, nobody mm -hmm. is nobody is saying don't uh, don't publish this book. Um, uh, Whipfinstock, uh, my publisher, is a publisher of religious books, and they published this book. Mm -hmm. um, and I I do think it's kind of curious um, because I wasn't I was just trying to find I was just trying to figure out what what the Hebrew text meant mm -hmm. with all of these. Um, oddities. That's what I was, I was just trying to understand the text. Um, I didn't have an agenda. I'm so happy that this lines up. Um, I mean, I'm hearing from different communities. This is, um, women find this um, particularly uh, meaningful and helpful. Um, and I do make the, I, 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 
I think I do say in the book clearly that we have no idea what this meant to the ancient Israelite priests. Mm -hmm. I'm not, there's no way that I could ever, uh, it would just be my a guess as to what it might have meant. We have no, but what might it mean to us today? And so what I'm hearing is that it's meaningful to women. Yeah. What I'm hearing is that it's meaningful in the gender queer community. What I mean by gender queer are people who um, identify um, not traditionally, you know, uh, male, female, but um, uh, but people can be non-binary. People can uh, today. You hear the pronoun they being, you know, individual people asked to be referred to as they. And so non-binary people, intersex people, people who were anatomically born, that's a minority of our population, but, but that, that population exists as well. Um, the world is not created only of male and female, only of he and she. Um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a broad spectrum. People are not only um, heterosexual, um, or homosexual, they're bisexual. There's all everything is on a on a spectrum, and so I'm hearing from people, from women, from genderqueer people, um, from people who are within a faith tradition, and people who are not within a faith tradition or don't identify the spiritual tradition that they're in as a faith tradition. They may have another way of, of speaking about it more in terms of spirituality. Faith doesn't capture what it is that they're feeling, expressing, how they're connecting with other people in their individual communities and with other uh, communities they're using. They're more comfortable with that term spirituality. Yeah. And, um, you know, broadly speaking, I think um, you know, we can, we can talk about, I was just uh, realizing yesterday that really you can talk about these communities in different ways. You can talk about a kind of a dualistic way of being in the world, um, meaning that my religion says that there's good and there's evil. And that uh, even if you go back to ancient Persia, there was a good God and an evil God, and they were duking it out. And, and that's kind of like how the world works. It's, a, it's, the, it's the fight to the bitter end between good and evil. That's the dualistic. And there are religions and faith, faith approaches that take that worldview. Then you have the opposite of, of the dualistic approach, and that would be the monistic approach, which, which is to say um, that um, no matter what it looks like to you, Everything is really one. Mm -hmm. Everything is really indivisible. And that's another way of being in the world spiritually. And I know people who um, that speaks very strongly to them. And I'm realizing that I'm, I'm in neither camp. I'm, I'm realizing <laughs> I, that my approach is really spiritually is, is what I would call um, holistic meaning it's all one but at the same time there's a dynamism within that one there's a there's an exchange you know 
it's the it's the it's the it's tai chi it's the it's the dao te ching it's the kabbalah it's that, that there's a dynamic always ever changing balance of energies and a lot of being productively spiritual in the world is knowing where you are and where the world is at a given time and place and finding your stance within that world and then being helpful from that from that particular place and it's always changing mm, yes well, I sure am glad I'm around when you brought <laughs> when you brought your research forth, because as a woman speaking to what you were uh, referencing a moment ago, you have this wonderful quote that I hadn't heard before um, in the book from Mary Daly, uh, Mary Daly or Daly. I don't. I'm Daly. Daly. Mm-hmm. Yes. And she writes, and I'm going to repeat this twice. If God is male, then male is God. Just let that sink in. If God is male, then male is God. And that is the most succinct, just, just a, a powerful articulation of what I felt but couldn't articulate growing up as a woman in a faith tradition that presented God as male to me. And it never felt right, but the meaning that, that, that it basically means we are lesser than um, if you at least that's what I took it to mean. Maybe other people made it mean different things. But as you write, whether we are aware of it or intended or not, when we speak of God as he, we are denigrating half the world's population and relegating them to second-class citizenship or worse, second-class status or worse. Um, in many cases, I mean, I, I, I feel very privileged to even have had it presented to me here in the the. the the place that I did growing up, because I know women in other areas of the world have it a lot worse. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, I don't know if you want to speak to that or not, but I'm saying for me as a woman, it was incredibly powerful. It, 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 it just gives me a sense of worth that was not there necessarily before to know that I was equally present in the image of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... Um... My wife and I have two daughters and you don't, but we don't have to, you don't have to be a parent of daughters or um, to, to appreciate that, um, you know, Sonny, I mean, there's so much pain in the world. Mm -hmm. There's so much pain in the world and why we would inflict unnecessary pain on each other. Why would we, why, uh, when, when we could be lifting each other up and supporting each other and helping each other and, and um, that that is um, that's that's so difficult to um, to know. And so when we when we have opportunities to um, to welcome each other um, and to honor each other, uh, it it's um, it's it's a special it's a special joy. And so I I um, uh, it's it's not why I wrote the book. But I am so honored and happy to be seeing the way that the um, uh, the, the teaching is is being passed around and 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 in ways that it is helpful. So thank you for lifting that up. Yes. Oh yeah, and I I can't wait to take this to divinity school. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know, 
Um, gosh, I'm debating. I've got several more questions thinking, which one, which one? Because I know we've only got two minutes left and I don't want to open a whole can of worms. Well, uh, maybe I should ask you, Rabbi Mark, is there anything we haven't touched on, you know, knowing that we have two minutes left? I can do the heavy lifting. I'll pull from my outline. But is there anything we didn't cover that you feel compelled or that you want to mention? Um, th- there's there's nothing else. Um, there's nothing. I mean, I have there are articles on my website. If people want to go to rabbimarksamoth.com, there are some of the articles that you mentioned, um, our father who art our mother. Mm. Um, there's a link to that one. There's a link to the op-ed, uh, uh, the New York Times op-ed, the other other pieces that I've written. Um, you know, and if people want to, uh, uh, they could, there's an excerpt of the book that was published and you can read an excerpt online. So there's, um, if people want to read a little bit more, my, my email is on, uh, uh, my contact information is there. And if people wanted to drop me a line, I'm happy to respond. I'm really, I'm just so happy to have the opportunity to speak with you and, uh, you know, to be here with your audience, knowing a bit about uh, your audience um, and um, and really grateful for the invitation today, Sonny. Thank you. Absolutely. This has been such a pleasure. And I, I do hope that you will come back so we can continue this conversation because I know we only scratched the surface of what you have in your work and research. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you so much. Yes. And I want to make sure we mention. I'm glad that we did have a couple of I just wondered, what was the space for? OK, I've got it because I didn't even mention the event that you have coming up. <laughs> I know you very sweet to provide oh. that information and I failed to mention it earlier. So for those out there who would like to take um, the conversation further and have uh, a live experience with Rabbi Mark, um, he will be co-hosting an all day online workshop with Susan Katz Miller um, for uh, Spirit on Sunday. February 27th, so that's coming up. It's called Non-Binary God, Non-Binary Spirituality. I may be signing up for this. Uh, It is intended for people of all (laughs) faith and spiritual traditions, and through journaling, meditation, and discussion, um, they'll be exploring how we can better maintain our sense of wholeness in polarized times. Um, And so, uh, Rabbi Mark, uh, where's the best place to find out about to sign up for that event? Your website? Um, you know what? I don't. I don't know that I have a link on my website. If if people want to go to my, you know what? It's on my Twitter feed, oh, okay. which is, um, which is at, uh, and then uh, four spelled F O U R mm-hmm. breaths. Oh, four breaths, which is as many breaths as I need to calm down. So ah. it's four at four breaths. And then you'll find a link there in a video, a little seven-minute video on the on the on the workshop. Beautiful. Okay, thank you so much, Rabbi Mark. This has been an honor and a pleasure, and I so appreciate your appearance here today and your work. <laughs> thank you, Sonny. Thank you. Blessings to all of you. You too. Okay, everyone, that will t- be a wrap today for Sunny in Seattle. I've been your host, Sonny Joy, and I will see you again next week. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>